HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Learn more at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. And when you use code HRN for a new subscription, you get $20 off, and we at HRN get $10. Bucks. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I'm excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. Newsflash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. Yeah. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers, that is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. A good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you are engaging them, they are engaging with each other, and you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You will also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you.
Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of the Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. I will be your host for season three of the Feed Feed podcast, a special series called What's on Your Table. Each episode, I will be taking a look at a specific country, region, or people and talking to a few members of the Feed Feed community about the food, recipes, ingredients, and flavors that make up the dishes that are always on their tables. Today, we're celebrating Latinx Heritage Month, and I'm so excited to be joined by three special guests. First off, we have Melissa Bailey, a proud Latina mom originally from the Dominican Republic who now lives in upstate New York with her husband and two kids. Melissa shares her stories and recipes over at the award-winning blog, Hungry Food Love, and she is also the partner and events director at We All Grow Latina, a digital, social, and in-real-life community of Latina women who connect and inspire one another, as well as use their collective influence to empower each other to grow and succeed. I'm also joined by Jessica Van Dopp de Jesus, also known as the Dining Traveler. Jessica is a travel media specialist and author who is focused on food and attainable luxury travel. Jessica was born in upstate New York and raised in Puerto Rico. She is a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps. She began travels as a young Marine over 20 years ago and has since been to over 50 countries on and off duty. Jessica is also a mom and currently lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, her daughter, and her cat. And finally, we have Andrea Lorette Demola, a member of our editorial team here at Feed Feed. Andrea is an assistant food editor and photographer for us. She's also the daughter of Peruvian immigrants and loves to incorporate Peruvian ingredients into her everyday cooking recipes and her pitches here at work. Prior to joining Feed Feed, she worked in several different restaurants in both New York and Florida. Andrea relocated to New York City last year to pursue a career in food media and attend the Institute of Culinary Education. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, ladies, and happy Latinx Heritage Month. So great to have you all on the show. (laughs) Hi, Julie, Andrea, and Jessica. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Hi, Melissa. All right. So, Jessica, uh, let's start with you. You grew up in a small town in Puerto Rico. Let's talk a little bit about food and um, cooking. And was was food central to your upbringing as a child? Yes. uh, So I was very fortunate. Um, My dad was 59 when I was born and he retired. That's how we ended up in Puerto Rico because he retired when I was five and his dream was always to return to the island. And for him, food was always a big, he was also, both my parents were, were good cooks. And uh, so he, uh, our first year there, he got a pig and he grew it and we went through the whole process. And as a six-year-old, I was like, oh my God, I love this pig. And then we're like, oh, we're going to kill it for Christmas. So, (laughs) but um, just growing up and watching my mom and my aunts, you know, making uh, blood sausage by hand, we had chickens, uh, 
my dad loved growing vegetables and, you know, um, having all the tropical fruit in my backyard uh, really uh, brought me closer, you know, to food and just to seeing how things were made from scratch. And both my parents are like a big believer on, on making everything from scratch. And uh, my dad hated eating out, uh, which is funny because now I, I write a lot about restaurants. <laughs> but uh, but uh, food was uh, when I when I now, especially as, as a 41 year old, I look back at being a child and a lot of the memories center around food um, growing up. Sounds amazing. Um, And it must have been awesome to live in a such a lush environment um, with so many fruits and vegetables. And aside from the pig, did you have any other animals um, that you guys took care of? Yes. So we like the first two years, my dad got really hyped up about the pig and then he realized it was a lot of work. And then we just like stuck to uh, to chickens. (laughs) That's great. Um, And so you grew up in um, uh, Puerto Rico for elementary school and your middle school years. And then you moved to the U.S. and then um, eventually you joined the Marines. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, uh, when I was uh, when I started ninth grade, we moved uh, back to Rochester, New York. That's where both my parents, um, with their families, had uh, migrated in the fifties from Puerto Rico, and um, there was a lot of uh, like factory work during that time and in, in, in that area. And uh, so our family base uh, was was there. Um, actually, now we have more family members in Rochester than we actually have in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and I, uh, when I was 17, I went to college at SUNY Albany. And but I, uh, I think I needed a little bit more discipline. My like many Latinos, you know, my parents were very strict. So of course, I go to college and I have all this freedom and and very little discipline. And after my freshman year, I was just not very proud of my grades. And after my parents had sacrificed so much for me to to go to school. And I had a, uh, you know, I'm the youngest of all my siblings. So I had a nephew that had joined the Navy right out of high school. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've seen the whole world. Like when I was freshman year college, you know, drinking and partying. And I don't know, like something. um, Then I started looking at my options and I didn't want to quit school to join the military. And I know that the Marine Corps had a reserve program. So uh, I took a year of absence, uh, leave of absence of school and uh, went to Paris Island, became a, became a Marine. <laughs> and um, then I uh, was a reservist like during college. So, I, you know, did the typical one weekend uh, a month and two weeks in the summer. And then I decided to become an officer. So I was uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant right after uh, my college graduation and went on active duty and, uh, yeah, got to live abroad and and do some uh, pretty fun stuff. That's amazing. So I want to come back to your travels in a couple of minutes and and talk to you a little bit more about the food and some of the great um, experiences you had traveling the the globe. Um, But right now I'm going to jump over to Melissa. Um, I'd love to hear just a little bit of background on growing up in the Dominican Republic. Did you also cook a lot as a child? Um, Was food really central to everything that you all did as a family together? Yes, definitely. Um, I believe um, the food inspiration and love for food came to me, you know, besides culturally, you know, Dominican Republic and Latin America, food is so centered to all our gatherings and, and gathering and being with family. It's like number one, you're having breakfast and thinking of lunch and what you're having for dinner. And 
when you're having these meals, not just a plate, it's uh, it's an experience. It's it's food served all over the tables, family style, and it's it's very centric to your upbringing. So that I think is number one. But personally, like individually, to me, my dad, um, he's retired now, but he was a restaurateur, so he had restaurants, and he worked front of the house, but also took care of buying and and getting all the produce going to the farmer's market i would go with him and and see him picking the every each produce talking to people so being so kind to everyone having like fun with that and now both going to the supermarket or farmer's market and and prepping like the maison place is like my favorite thing um so i do have these vivid memories of me being so small and just actually pretending to be in a cooking show cooking show like <laughs> chopping yeah chopping and and prepping it's my favorite part i love it yeah it's definitely <laughs> very therapeutic um yeah. what are some of the dishes that you enjoyed as a child growing up either at home or in your dad's restaurants um i think you know i'm very I live, I've been living here for almost 20 years now, but I feel so Dominican, so connected to my culture. I mean, there's no way. Um, I feel like, you know, definitely I'm Dominican, but just like above and beyond, love so much my culture. So any Dominican dishes, there's one called Sancocho. It's a stew with different types of meats, different type of root vegetables. And um, that definitely was like a feast to have and still to make here at my home. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Do you make that now? Um, yeah, you know, it's a, yeah, it's an elaborate meal uh, dish, but I've mastered ways with shortcuts here to make it super quick. So um, it's just something we keep, keeps me connected and keeps my kids uh, connected to my culture. That's great. And so when you said you've been here 20 years, when did you move to the U.S.? And and then maybe tell us about your inspiration for blogging, which it looks like you started your blog about 10 years ago now. Correct. Um, you know what? Funny thing, Jessica, I didn't know that about you, that your family is from Rochester, but I came all the way from the Dominican Republic to Rochester, New York for college. Oh, small world. <laughs> yeah, such a smart world. I came to um, Rochester Institute of Technology, RIT. Oh. Yeah. 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 So we probably, you and I possibly were here at the same time. I came yeah. um, for college. I did my undergrad and my master's at RIT. Um, my master was in service management because I definitely wanted to work in the hospitality world. Um, but having my other backgrounds in marketing and business um, allowed me to just, you know, when I was stayed here in Rochester because of, I met my husband the hospitality industry is not that big here. So I went into another industry, um, still in marketing. Same, I love my field, but I wasn't enjoying the, you know, the industry itself. So 10 years in corporate America, um, having this opportunity to have a, you know, a leadership role in, in, in a global corporation. And still my mind was, thinking about what I was going to cook, how, you know, noticing how in social media, my food was the, the, what was more like, and I found myself like leaving in comments recipes, just like on my personal Facebook, there was an Instagram yep. back there. And I'm like, I was reading back then DIY blogs. I didn't even know about blogs really, but DIY and decoration blogs, what I was reading. And from there, I was like, I can have a food blog and, and looked it up. And uh, because of my, my mining marketing, I couldn't just, op- just, 
you know, launch it. I had to plan it. And I remember on my lunch break going to a library, sorry, a bookstore, and I grabbed the, <laughs> it's silly because you could find that online, but still it was so early back then. I got the food blogging for dummies book <laughs> from mm-hmm. Kelly Sanjay from Just a Taste. And, and I just got that. I wrote my intentions on the book, even though I didn't read the book, like, you know, everything, because you could find everything online too. It was just almost like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I remember that was May 2012. And that September, I launched the blog. That's it took great. me a couple of months, but, you know, to plan it and have it ready, have recipes. I really wanted it to have it all done and have a plan. Congratulations. I know it's a ton of work to keep up a blog and put out content for your readers and develop and test recipes. What are some of your favorite recipes that have really resonated with your audience over the years? I feel that just coming with fusions is what has become like my, um, I guess, the identity of my blog, even though I do all my dishes have like a Latin twist. I do mix it up with other ingredients or I just come up with my own recipes, not just traditional ones. And one of my, the most favorite, I think there is, um, it's a rice dish that actually has chopped plantains in it and chorizo. So it's oh, not yeah. like a traditional. <laughs> so yeah. So you just like cook this sweet plantain. It's sweet. It can get crispy. You you fry that and then you fry the chorizo, Spanish chorizo in this case. And you have the smokiness from that and then bring it all into the rice. Oh, super, super popular and delicious. Sounds delicious. Um, all right, Melissa. So I'm going to come back to you in a little bit just to chat a little bit about We All Grow Latina. I want to hear all about that amazing um, resource and, and community that you've launched um, with your partner. But I'm going to go back to Jessica for a little bit. Um, I love to hear about your travels um, and you know where the Marines took you, where you traveled afterwards, what kind of uh, food that you enjoyed uh, along the way, um, people that you met, any stories that you can share with us, um, I'd love to hear. Yeah. Um, so grow, obviously growing up in an, on an island is very difficult too. We did a lot of road trips, um, around Puerto Rico, but, and so the only like trips that we would do was go back to, to Rochester to see family. And as Melissa probably knows, like going to Canada is like the big thing just because it's so close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, it's international. Um, but my travels like didn't really start until, um, I graduated college and, uh, you know, well, joined the Marines, I was doing reserves. So I was actually a truck driver. That was like my, my, my specialty when I was in college. So I did a lot of driving actually across the country. So uh, we did a drive from Syracuse to, um, to Kentucky twice. And it really, um, and and it doesn't sound as exotic, but it really did open my eyes to see an America that I just wasn't aware that existed Um, at so many different levels. Um, Yeah, I we would actually stop like at parks at state parks and like park our trucks and sleep in the back of the truck and, you know, get back and, you know, we're carrying tons of equipment. And so it took a few days to get there. So that those are some pretty, pretty fascinating uh, memories. And then um, when I became an officer, uh, the opportunity came to be stationed in Okinawa. 
And uh, Okinawa for many Marines is like either they love it or they hate it. Um, and I fell in love. Um, it reminded me a lot of Puerto Rico as a tropical island. Yeah. It's, uh, it's south of, of mainland Japan. So it's pretty warm. The summers are like sweltering heat, uh, humid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you have the beach everywhere, uh, the, the houses, because of they also have a lot of, uh, they call them typhoons over there. Um, but because of the hurricanes, you have these uh, kind of concrete block houses, very similar to where I grew up in Puerto Rico. So it just, it gave me like this, even though it was so far away, it really gave me this, um, this sense of home. And, uh, and I was also on a base pretty North. So I was far away from what, let's say an urban environment. So my options were either eat at the Taco Bell on base, cook at, cook in my, you know, officers had like a one bedroom apartment with fully equipped, uh, kitchen. So I would cook a lot. Like I was kind of like the den mom. I was like the only female living in the Mm -hmm. barracks for a while. Then I had another friend that came in, thank God. So her and I used to like, (laughs) we just loved cooking and it sounds very stereotypical, but she was from Mississippi. Uh, she's black from Mississippi. Hope uh, she was a Navy officer, and uh, but we both loved to cook, and obviously the guys loved to eat, so it worked out for everybody. Um, but uh, I hope but, they and, helped out with the dishes. Oh yeah, and they bought mm-hmm. the food, so it was like oh, you know, perfect. <laughs> they were like, "We we buy you cook," and I'm like, "Yes." Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then you would eat out in town, you know, the Japanese food and uh, an Okinawan food that is very unique, you know, a unique cuisine because it has a lot of Chinese influences and. Because for many centuries, Okinawa would kind of be, be Chinese and Japanese. So it has uh, is very different than mainland Japan when it comes to food. Yeah. Um, but it just really opened my palate. Like I've always been an adventurous eater. And growing up in Puerto Rico, especially my dad being older, um, I mean, we were eating pig's feet and octopus and all sorts of crazy stuff growing up. So nothing really surprised me. But it really being able to eat it from a different cultural perspective like different foods right um and then when i was there you know we spent some time like like a month and a half in thailand um also kind of living in a remote area and again it was like a whole and i worked with a guy whose wife was vietnamese and he's like oh we have to go to the markets because my wife gave me like she had given him this list of a hundred (laughs) like ingredients that she wanted him to bring yes yes (laughs) and this was i mean this was in 2003 like 17 years ago right um but i just remember and he's like yeah you're the only one again i was the only woman like and he's like i feel like you're the only one that can relate to this kind of stuff like so can you come with me so we would just on our time off a lot of the guys were out drinking in the bars and doing God knows what, but we were like out at the markets shopping. You were at the markets. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, and, uh, and, and so Japan was like the first, and we you know, also spent some time in the Australian outback, which was also a, a cultural experience uh, because it was very country. It was totally not what I had expected from, from Australia. And then further on, you know, I had a deployment in Iraq and, I think wow. for me, that was very transformative, obviously, in, in many ways. Um, but, but when it comes, you know, specifically about food, is that it just um, when you're in a controlled environment like that, and you have to eat what's in the, at the cafeteria at that time. Um, and every now and then, you you know, back then, 2005, uh, you it was kind of like the height of, you know, it's, it's Amazon started and other websites right. that you can order like, you know, um, non-perishables to right. give you a little taste of home. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, you ate what was at, at the, uh, 
at the cafeteria. So it was just super limited. But every now and then, um, you know, I worked at the embassy, at the U.S. embassy, and I had the opportunity to go to a few meetings out in town. And um, and I remember that uh, we were at, at an oil refinery and they were like, oh, we're going to serve lunch. And all my other colleagues were very hesitant to eat. And I was like, oh my God, this looks delicious. Look at this hummus. And I, I just looked like a kid in the candy store. And remember like our Iraqi, Iraqi counterparts, like they were really taken by my- <laughs> because, Love of food. You know, yes. they, they, they probably really appreciated it because often- Yeah, I, I would imagine that oftentimes people were like your colleagues who weren't so excited to, to try things that maybe they'd never eaten before. Um, I'm and like was, you in a situation like that. I, <laughs> I just dive right in. I, whenever we travel, um, one of the things that I do is I, I tell the cab driver, like, can you take me where you would go out to eat? Um, because I feel like that's going to give me the real, true, authentic, um, you know, flavors and cuisines of wherever it is we're traveling to. Yeah. And it, and that, that was pretty much what I did. And I, I, I even had, I was like, you know, what, can I, can I take some leftovers? And of course they were thrilled. So I came back and I had like, you know, four like styrofoam boxes, just like full of hummus and breads. And it, it was, it was just like, um, you know, and, and all that chaos and, you know, 2005 was a pretty rough year out there. Um, yeah. And, and all that chaos, it really kind of gives you that sense of, you know, of normalcy just, just for a bit. And I think that also made me realize how everybody's pretty much connected through food and, um, you know, no, and, you know, I've been stationed also in, in, in South Korea and Germany. I lived in Belgium for six years and, despite all of our differences, I think that food, you can ask people, so, you know, what do you eat? And, or what do you like eating? And it's just like such a, such a great icebreaker. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we'll come back in a couple minutes to talk a little bit about how your travels have influenced um, what you cook. And also I want to hear a little bit more about the dining traveler, but Andrea, I'm going to take a couple minutes just to chat with you. Um, we obviously, this is our second episode to celebrate Latinx heritage month. And we talked a little bit about your childhood last year. Um, but you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you decided to attend culinary school and move to New York City. I know a lot of people in our audience love food, they love to cook, um, and they've probably considered a classical training, but I'm wondering what your journey was to get to New York and go to culinary school. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I went to school for um, basically pre-med. And since the time I can remember, both, you know, I've said, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to, you know, be a dermatologist. I'm going to do this. And I went into college thinking that that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't really spend any time looking at any other careers. And I didn't really believe that you could, you know, um, have a career in a, in a more creative field. Um, you know, and I think I, I always in the back of my mind, I think it always was there. But once I hit my junior year in college, I kind of hit a wall where I said, you know, I do not like what I'm studying. There's no way I could do this for another couple of years. Um, and someone told me, they're like, if it's so hard for you and like you're really not enjoying it, why don't you do something that you enjoy? So I kind of shifted gears. I was a biochem major at the time. I switched my, my final senior thesis to be um, like food-based. So it was like food science. Mm -hmm. um, and then I decided instead of going to medical school, uh, I had already taken all the exams that I was going to 
you know, just go work in the industry and find find my place. And so I worked at a couple different places. I worked at um, Catapult, which is like a business entrepreneur, uh, like a business incubator that is uh-huh. in my hometown. And so I met a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of graphic designers, a lot of people working in that creative field. And I realized, hey, like this is possible. At the same time, I was working part-time for William Sonoma, which I still did while I was here in New York when I first moved here and I was teaching cooking classes. Um, and then I was a lab manager. So I really was working like a bunch of different jobs. And I reached a point where I was like, I need to do something that is going to be, that's going to set me on the path for a career that I'm going to be happy in. And so my thought was, I'm going to move to New York, one of the best cities for food, because you have a little bit of everything here. And what a better place to kind of, uh, to, to learn. Um, and I've met so many different types of people from different places that I would have never been exposed to back in Florida, which is which is amazing. Um, but yeah, so I moved here to to kind of build a bridge between my my science background and then what I wanted it to be. So uh, in New York, I've been able to meet you know a variety of different people from different places. I have friends who are from Iran. I have friends who are Azerbaijani. I have friends who are from Armenia. Like I've and those people and those cultures weren't super present in my hometown of Lakeland, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember growing up and being one of the only Latinas in my in my class and having to teach my friends about my my culture and my my family and my food. You know, so coming to New York has been a really big eye-opening experience because I've got to meet so many people from different places and learn. Um, I think what Jessica was saying earlier is that she jumped in to, you know, try the 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 Iraqi food. And I mentioned this to Melissa the other day on a call that, um, you know, the best way to connect with people, especially if you don't speak their language, is to try their food, you know, and cooking for people is probably one of the most affectionate things that you can do for someone because you spend time, you know, preparing the food, you spend your money, you spend effort. And then at the end of the day, you get to share that meal with them. So that's something that I just wanted to continue doing and something that brought me a lot of joy. So well, thanks for that. And obviously, we're so happy that you moved to New York and that you're working with us at the Feed Feed. Um, so, Melissa, let's talk a little bit about We All Grow Latina. Um, give us a little bit about this amazing organization that um, you're a part of. I know it's been around for about 10 years, and it just seems to be such um, a, a way to connect with other Latina women. Um, and what I know you historically have worked on events there. Tell us a little bit about how the organization has pivoted lately to virtual events, but give us a little background first. Yes, of course. So We Ocre Latina started, as you said, 10 years ago, and our founder, Ana Flores, um, back then, again, also had a mom. She was a mom blog, uh, blogger, she author of a book, very into being raising kids bilingual. That was her focus. And the more she was getting into this world, the more she realized um, there was not a place for Latinas that were blogging to find each other or to be aware of these opportunities that there were at the time online um, to connect with brands. So it started more as a network to um, manage influencers at the time. Well, that were, you know, so, so, uh, uh, a complex word and not even used back then, but um, mm-hmm. besides marketing to bloggers and connecting brands with bloggers, the the world was shifting and more, this became more mainstream, more brands 
were able to now hire internally um, the the job that we were doing. And um, the more there was a need for in real connections. So that's how then in 2015, we created the first summit, the first We All Grow Summit, which was an opportunity to come together in real life with the women we were meeting online, but we were craving to be together. Um, So before I get into that story and how we've evolved and where we are, uh, for those who not know what We All Grow Latina is, um, thank you for the introduction. That was great. Uh, but we are a community and, and our mission is to elevate the voices and the stories of Latinas through culturally relevant content, this virtual and in-person events, and many digital campaigns that, you know, the focus is to bring together and, and become this sisterhood of um, Latina creatives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. So it's a one place to find each other and support each other and grow together. Um, that's what we are today. And for some reason, the summit became our biggest um, effort uh, of the year. It, it was once a year. Um, we were ha- supposed to have it this year for the sixth year in 2020 in Palm Springs. Um, we went from having the summit with 250 people to 1,000 people. So it really grew um, with people coming from all over the world, um, always in the West Coast. And we had other events in Miami, New York. So we were expanding. And this year, as you know, it couldn't happen because of um, COVID. Um, so it's a new way. Now we had to pivot. We had to internally, it was, it's a little rough to to see how, where we were going to go. And there's no way we can actually translate what we were doing four days of events in one virtual event. So we are not, you know, we haven't moved the summit as virtually um, but we have worked with brands and partners that are really committed to our community and still work with us in one way or another. So we creatively um, come together and done other ways of connecting and bringing that brand and, and community connection. Uh, but yeah, my role, I started in 2014 for putting together the summit. So I joined the Wheel Grow after a few years being um, uh, established. And everything from putting together even the menus and tasting, you know, connecting it to what we're talking right now, but tasting foods and going um, outsourcing hotels and venues. And that was always part of my favorite. But any logistical part of putting together this summit was under my belt. Yes. Thanks for that background. What a great resource for Latina women. And, um, it, you know, I hope that, you know, over time you guys can, you know, I've noticed a lot of organizations that are doing kind of smaller focused events in a virtual space as opposed to like taking, you know, a multi-day summit in into the virtual space. So I'm, I'm going to look forward to um, where you guys grow and, and how you continue to connect um, and be such a valuable resource for Latina women. Um, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Bend a Table is founded by Ben Simon, a longtime food lover, advocate, and experimenter. Ben goes around the country finding the stuff that you would buy if you were vacationing somewhere cool like Charleston or California and he buys it for you and sends it to you in a box. Ben the Table has three different subscription plans. One, Pantry Essentials. Incredible dry staples each month. Rancho Gordo beans, Geechee Boy grits, and community grain pastas. All excellent by the way. 
Global Delicacies is another choice, and it's a way to explore the cuisine of different countries and cultures. Delicacy boxes might include razor clams from Spain, tinned obviously, wheat lacoche from Mexico, or grilled artichokes in oil from Italy. Bend a Table includes both the Pantry Essential and the Global Delicacy Plan. By purchasing any subscription, you'll help sustainable, well-produced ingredients and small producers stay alive in today's big business environment. Start your monthly subscription at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. Use the discount code HRN to get $20 off a new subscription, and Bend a Table will donate $10 to support all of HRN's programming. So Jessica, tell us about launching The Dining Traveler and how has your um, writing and your travels and uh, what you feature and restaurants that you go to, how has that evolved over the years? Yeah, it's well, I, I started in 2009 and with a blog on Blogger. So that's OG. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I was living in Belgium at the time. I, I was uh, working there and uh, a lot of people were asking like, so what are you doing in Belgium? And I uh, and I, I was like, how do I put this all instead of answering everybody's emails or questions? Like, let me put it all in one place. And that's when I started Adventures of a Puerto Rican Girl in Brussels. Oh, and, wow. uh, so and and then, you know, I was just like talking about everything. I was single at the time. So I was talking about my my dating life. I should go back. I, you know, I don't even know if that domain is still active. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was talking about dating. I was talking, I was traveling a lot on the weekends. So I definitely knew that I wasn't going to be there forever. So I, I did a lot of uh, like short city trips and I would do like recaps. Um, I was eating, I was cooking. So it was just like a little bit of everything, but it kind of gained a following in the expat community in Brussels and in Holland and what we call like the Benelux, uh, Luxembourg, Belgium, um, and Netherlands. And um, when I moved back to the States in 2012, I wanted to continue telling those stories. And I changed the name to Adventures of the Repatriate. Like mm-hmm. because I had not lived in the States at this point for, I would say like a little over nine years um, because, you know, I was in Iraq, I came back for a bit, then I moved to South Korea, then I ended up in Belgium. Um, and, uh, it was, it, it was just a way of sharing my story of being back in the States. But again, it went back to food and travel because now I was traveling a lot in the U S going on road trips. I had a friend that lived out in Texas. So did a few trips to Austin and Florida and just, uh, enjoying being back in, in, in the U S and I got, got, kind of got into being, um, into the food scene in DC. There were so many new restaurants at the time. Back when I was stationed here at Quantico, um, back in 2001, 2002, like the the dining options were so limited. So yeah. I was like a kid in a candy store when I came back. Um, and I have to say living in Belgium, the food there is fantastic, but it's just European food. There's still a right. void when it comes to uh, international foods. And uh, so being here and being able to, to be t- exposed to good Asian food, to good, especially not in, in D.C. and in, in the district, but, you know, you go out to Maryland, Virginia, and you have these very rich immigrant communities. And it's like, you know, you can go on a trip around the world on a weekend. Yeah. And um, but, you know, like people had a hard time understanding the concept of repatriate. And like even my handle, people would uh, like misspell the tags. Like so that people would reshare the picture. And it was back then when you couldn't edit the caption. Right. So I was like, I need to do it. So uh, like 2014 came around. I was like, OK, two years. I've been a repat, you know, 
I think I need to go to the next level. And a friend was like, well, you always write just about food and travel at this point. Like you should do be, you know, be more uh, targeted. And that's when I decided to rebrand to the dining traveler, which I'm still shocked at that domain handle everything. Yeah. You were lucky to get that. Yeah. (laughs) Because that was, I mean, in hindsight, it was just five years ago that I did the full, um, do the full rebrand. And I always go back, actually, I mentioned that story of being in Iraq because I always go back to that story when I talk about travel and food and the connection and, and, um, because it's, you know, you're in a war zone and you are with people that are potential adversaries and you find a common ground through food or you, you know, people trust you because you trust, you know, you trust them eating their food. And that's what I wanted. And I, that's why a lot of blogs are, you know, they involve somebody's name, but for me, I wanted to do something neutral because uh, to me, everybody's a dining traveler. If you travel, you have to eat regardless of of, of belief. So I wanted to do that. And we do have contributors, um, a little, uh, all over the place. And, uh, and I wanted to create a community of people that, that come together through food because there's nothing that I love more. I love dinner parties. I love having people over to eat. Um, if I met you in person, I'd be like, Oh, you should come over next week. I think that's, you know, the Puerto Rican in me, <laughs> like we're always yep. inviting people to my, it's like, Oh, yep. come to my house. Mm-hmm. Um, as Melissa probably <laughs> does as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that's what I wanted to 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 bring with Dining Traveler. I wanted to to bring people together with food. And I think in terms of the evolution, I think as you grow, and I mean, I've started this in my early 30s. Now I'm 41. I'm a mom, and uh, your audience grows with you. And yeah. I think that now we are in a time where um, you also. I I've always been, even though I grew up in in you know in upstate New York, and I was in a very white environment in, in the Marine Corps, I've always been very unapologetically Latina. And, and I try to do try to work that into my, into my writing and trying to highlight people um, from those backgrounds as well. And for me now, it's in, in this time has become a bigger priority to yeah. uh, bring people that um, don't have the luxury to have a PR firm or just don't know PR or people that only speak uh, Spanish. And, you know, even though it, it takes a little, little bit longer to translate interviews and whatnot, um, but being able to tell their stories too, because they're, they're important for people to know that um, everything, if you're eating here in the United States, uh, 9.9% of the time, your food has been touched by a Latino. And, yeah. um, and I think that that's something that is not recognized enough and it's not respected enough. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing that and sharing the the stories and recognizing those people. And that's really, you know, the background, um, of this podcast, you know, telling, inviting people like you, um, inviting people like Melissa on to share their stories and some, you know, special dishes. And, you know, that actually kind of brings me to the questions that I ask each week to my guests um, that I think gives a great insight into, um, you know, how they cook, how they eat for their family, um, how they cook and how they provide um, and put food on the table for their families. So the first question I have really for all three of you is, what are the three ingredients that you really always have on hand? It could be in your pantry, in your fridge, in your freezer. Um, If we were to walk into your house, what would we always find? Do you want to go first, Jessica? Yeah. uh, 
Rice, for sure, because you can never go wrong with rice. Uh, beans, canned and dried. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my husband's Dutch, so there's always uh, dairy, milk, and cheese. That, that could never fail. <laughs> Love it. And how about you, Andrea? So as far as uh, Peruvian ingredients go, I would say ají amarillo, limes, and potatoes. And but do you want to just... give us a little background um, for anyone listening that doesn't know what ají amarillo is? Can you describe it? Yeah, of course. So ají amarillo is like a yellow pepper that originates in Peru. Um, it's pretty spicy, but it also has a lot of flavor to it. It's more, it's got, it's been described as like a raisiny, more floral note to the pepper. Um, it's, it's really good. And so part, I'm not a huge, like big spice person. I like the spice to also have flavor. So yep. I love that um, about the ají amarillo and it goes pretty much hand in hand with uh, lime juice. You, when you see it in ceviches, you won't see it without lime. Okay. Um, so ahi, lime, and then potatoes. Potatoes are like at the center of a lot of Peruvian dishes. Um, but just here at home, like on an everyday basis, I'm always cooking in butter. Mm -hmm. I always have rice. And uh, yeah, I always have lentils. Lentils is like a, a Peruvian thing as well, too. We eat lentils every Monday. So... Yeah, you developed that awesome lentil recipe uh, for a meal plan a couple weeks back. And I have that on my list of what to cook on an upcoming weekend. Yeah. In Peru, they say that that brings good luck for you to have lentils. Uh, like on Mondays, you start the week with with a bowl of lentils and rice. And sometimes if you go to like another um, to a restaurant or if you go to someone's home, sometimes you'll find a coin taped underneath the plate, you know, and it's supposed to bring money to your pocket. Oh, is I the love idea. That. Yeah, that's great. And how about you, Melissa? Um, almost everything that Jessica mentioned, but um, there's always at my home, we have very similar um, dishes between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, but because flavor makes you know a difference of how like, a bean can taste or a meat, I would say it's just the seasoning portion. I can never not have garlic, oregano, or lime. I mean, those yep. three together are bomb. <laughs> Or even already mixed together. I may have it already in my fridge. We call it sofrito. Yep. Mm -hmm. The base for a lot of delicious, complex dishes mm -hmm. and, and simple ones too. Yeah. Um, awesome. So another question that I have for each of you, you know, we've obviously all gotten to know each other or, you know, come across each other through social media. And I think, um, you know, social media does do that same thing. It's, it's kind of, it does break down barriers and it allows you to meet other people that you, um, you know, wouldn't necessarily meet and develop relationships with over time and, you know, expand your palate, you know, from the food standpoint. And, um, you know, I'm just curious if you could maybe share some Latinx content creators or bloggers or chefs that you like to follow, you know, whether they're from Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic or from Peru um, or outside of the countries that you all originate from? Yeah, um, this Melissa, I will, you know, it's hard like to answer the question because there's so many and I wouldn't want to leave any of like my friends or people that I really enjoy out, but I think what I'll do is I'll focus into that into Dominican. So let's just like for my answers, I'll give you a few of my favorite Dominicans one. Okay. Um, and actually some more inspiration for me when I started. Um, 
Clara Gonzalez and her and her she goes by Simple by Clara on Instagram and her blog uh-huh. is Dominican Cooking. I think she's been doing this for like twenty years. You guys can't miss can miss uh, checking her out. Um, then there's Diala Canelo who her her Instagram is called Diala's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Super uh, beautiful content as far as photography, amazing. She's in Toronto. She's Dominican in Toronto. Um, so a very interesting story for her as well. Um, and then uh, in in our team, in We All Girl, we also have one more food blogger, Vanessa Mota, and her blog is Smart Little Cookie. Um, a lot of Dominican <laughs> content you can find there as well. And it's so fun that she is part of We All Grow as well. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. How about you, Jessica? Well, I, I again, like uh, like Melissa, I was like, I have so many. I'm like, don't get mad at me if I leave mm-hmm. any out. <laughs> but um, I Gordait, uh, Iliana, um, I met her at a food blog uh, conference, a food blogging conference like five years ago, and we've kept in touch. And she just got her first book deal, but she also has a newsletter and she does recipes of uh, Puerto Rican food, but she also does it with like a di- diaspora twist um a, a dominican uh chef that i follow is uh paola velez uh she uh, is a pastry chef and um i always say i'm not gonna eat carbs and then she posts these amazing donuts <laughs> and i and she's in dc so i'm like okay fine i'm gonna order some donuts oh um, my but, gosh they're delicious. Um, then uh, there's a guy named Jeremy, La Comida de Jeremy. He's Puerto Rican and he does plant-based uh, Puerto Rican food. And I'm not a vegan, but I, I do. I'm super interested in how creative uh, plant-based eaters are. And sometimes I do have guests that come to my house that um, are vegetarian or vegan. So I love his tips on how to veganize Puerto Rican food. And there is also a person, uh, her name is Joana Hernandez, and she has a business called Manos de Maiz. And she's Mezcalita too. So she has Manos de Maiz, her business, but she's based in Mexico. And I love Mexican food and I love her tips and, and different ingredients that she uses. Thanks. I'll definitely check her out. Um, how about you, Andrea? Andrea? So I actually have a couple. Celia, uh, Celia de Luna, she's a Peruvian photographer and she does like whimsical high-end portraits, which I absolutely adore her. I'm obsessed with her, with her page. Um, another artist that I actually follow is Gabriella Jackson. She's from my hometown and she does murals and, you know, uh, she's done a couple sculptures for some Latin restaurants back home. Uh, and then there's another another one, Miss Gio Elizabeth. She also went home. She also went. Uh, she's from my hometown, but she's done some amazing stuff. She had a very similar journey to me, where she moved to New York to go to culinary school. Uh, she she worked for Vice and Munchies in their test kitchen, and uh, and then she moved back home and she started her own company where she's she's got uh, Mi Casita Verde where she does like pop ups mm-hmm. and she'll do like a tres leches or she'll do like a very special wing or something like that. And then she's also started. Um, her own her own magazine that people subscribe to and, you know, uh, which I think is awesome. A couple of chefs that I love, um, two Peruvian ones, <laughs> obviously, Eric Ramirez. He's got a couple of restaurants here in New York. And then Mina Newman. I actually worked for her for a little bit. 
and Sensacana pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love them both. Both of their restaurants are absolutely amazing. And they're very true to Peruvian flavors, but also do a really good job of blending um, with, you know, the Japanese culture um, with Lama San and with Sensacana. So. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So the last question that I have for you all today is, and we've talked a little bit about some of your favorite dishes and dishes that have resonated with your readers. Um, but what's your favorite thing to cook at home? So Jessica, I'll start with you. Ooh, um, so many. It depends on mood mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in. Um, but in terms of, uh, of food, Puerto Rican food, I love um, making arroz con pollo. It's super simple. Yeah. And, um, and my kid loves it. So it's like a win-win. Yeah. Um, I do love making a pernil, like, and I love how the scent just completely fills the house. Uh, and um, in terms of desserts, I love arroz con dulce. It's like a, it's a Puerto Rican version of, um, of rice pudding, but it's like more it's a bit thicker so you can actually like cut it in, into slices it's very popular during christmas yeah sounds delicious how about you melissa um i have to say there's again this is I, i'm just sharing one because i have to but there's so many um but i think with my kids particularly even um it's uh, empanadas yeah um i think that's the one recipe you can find on my blog in so many versions like I've made them filled with quinoa with vegetables with pernil like a Mexican you know fajita style filled ones beef and caramelized onions so like you can do anything like you can put a meal within this you know crunchy dough and and you can have it for breakfast a snack lunch dessert I actually have dessert empanadas as well so I think that's my favorite thing to do I love empanadas how about you Andrea um, so I think last week I said that it was like, that it changes from week to week. Last <laughs> week it was cacio pepe that with ají amarillo that I make. I think Ooh. this week I'm, I'm going for, for something sweet. Um, alfajores de maicena have really been kind of like on my mind all week. So I think that's probably what I'm going to get to as far as sweets go. Um, and then this week for savory, probably we'll probably go with like a lomo saltado sometime this weekend. Um, and then... What, did it, what was the question also eating out? Yeah, sure. And maybe maybe what do you love to eat out when you go out to dinner? Gotcha. So I've actually really had a crave. I don't know what it is. It's the sweets, but I've been really craving the olive oil panna cotta. That's from Via Carota. Oh, yeah. Here in New York. Love that. I don't know if you guys have been there or the olive oil gelato from Missy. Oh, those are some of the things <laughs> that I just, that's what I crave when I go out to eat because I don't generally cook a lot of sweets at home. But like when, when, that, stri- when that craving hits... I've got, it's like very specific. So thank you. Well, Jessica, Melissa, Andrea, thank you all for taking some time out of your busy days to talk about your stories, your upbringing, your history, the countries where you come from and the food that's always on your table. And thanks for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at the feed feed and please follow our guests as well. If you have a food story to tell, or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, or a chef about a specific country or region and its cuisine, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The feed feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.